The blind stares of a million pairs of eyes Looking hard but won't realize That they will never see the peace Yes, sir. We are right back at it. It's all eyes on Cleveland. I am your host, Brad Ward. Elated to bring you a spectacular guest this evening. The one and only Eric Metcalf, my favorite all-time Brown, uh, will be on the show. We talked for 50-some minutes about all sorts of variety of things. I think you will enjoy it. Very much. You are listening to All Eyes on Cleveland. You start getting excited. And there it is, Mikey on the ones and twos, doing his thing as usual. And we are back, all eyes on Cleveland, the podcast. I am Brad Ward, your host. Very special guest tonight, the one and only Eric Metcalf will join us here in just a matter of moments. But first, you can find our show where all popular podcasts are found iTunes, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, iHeartRadio, the TuneIn app, Radio.com, and Google Play, among others, will be published tomorrow morning at USA Today Sports Media Group's TheBrownsWire.com, where I write. Uh, so go to TheBrownsWire.com, get all your Browns news there, plus the webpage for this very podcast at eyes on cleveland.com want to do a t-shirt giveaway i've been trying to post the t-shirts there's a couple all eyes on cleveland ones we got a baker moving in silence i have a whole ton of them if you go to tpublic.com uh and search brad ward but we are want to give away uh a all eyes on cleveland t-shirt ray mikey yes sir so look for that going into next week uh, a little giveaway uh, on that T-shirt, I like the I like the new the new all black with the all eyes on Cleveland and just the the plain white lettering. Very cool. Uh, I like it a lot. Uh, I do, uh, and uh, I'm excited about it. So we're gonna look at that. Plus, we have the regular all eyes uh, on Cleveland logo too on the T-shirt. Uh, we want to look at that. If you would prefer that shirt, uh, we will get your opinion on it. Uh, got some things to discuss when we come back after the interview. Very quick tonight after the interview. Just want to hit on some things. 
uh, bing, bang, boom, then we'll get you out of here. Uh, but most importantly, the interview with the one and only Eric Metcalf. Uh, I will not, uh, I'm not going to go through all the, um, his uh, accomplishments right now because I went through him uh, on the line with him. So without any further ado, let's just get you right to the interview. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, next week, Josh Keatley breaking down your UDFAs on Thursday. Might do a quick hitter on Tuesday. Not sure yet. We've got a couple guests uh, waiting to get back to us. But uh, we appreciate uh, the listen. So make sure you hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. Without any further ado, here he is, the one and only Eric Metcalf. And I could not be more excited to welcome to All Eyes on Cleveland, my favorite Cleveland Brown player of all time, uh, the one and only Eric Metcalf. Eric was the only player in Texas history to lead the team in all-purpose yards all four years. He's a two-time national title winner in the long jump at Texas, uh, participated in the 1988 Olympic trials, first-round draft pick, only player ever to have over 7,000 offensive yards and over 7,000 yards on kickoff and punt returns, three-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro, six-year legend, Cleveland Brown, 13 years in the NFL, um, third all-time in return touchdowns, the one and only Eric Metcalf. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great, thanks. How, How about you? I'm hanging in there. I'm hanging in there. It's a weird time we're living in, Eric, uh, with the uh, uh, pandemic uh, right now. Uh, so kind of a standard question, you know, for most interviewers, how has your quarantine been for you? What, what has that been like? <laughs> Boredom. <laughs> Boredom. <laughs> no, no. You know, what, what it has given me a chance to do is, you know, really – be with my family because I, I have uh, older older kids and like my oldest daughter just graduated, so got her master's, so she just finished grad school. So she she was in down in Texas. My son is at uh, Arizona State, and his twin sister goes to community college here in Seattle right now. And so this time has given us as a family a, a, a chance to to be in the house together because everybody will be all over the place. You know, my son plays football, so there's no telling when he would ever come back and things like that. So this time gives us a lot of time to, to spend together and, and eat dinner together and do things that we probably wouldn't have done if, if this uh, pandemic wasn't going on because, you know, teenage kids, uh, early 20s, yeah, no one wants no one wants to sit at the table and eat at the same time. Yeah, everybody's gone doing their separate things. So I, I definitely have, that's giving me a, this is giving me a chance, uh, giving us a chance to to do all those things and, and be close like a family, like when they were small. Another thing that I've been doing is just concentrating on getting in shape. I, I was so out of shape, and so mm-hmm. and so so in this last so since <laughs> this has started, I've actually lost thirty pounds. Dang, that's awesome. And, that's it. And I and I've been doing, you know, and I haven't given up sleep. I haven't, you know, I just walk nine miles a day, lift some, lift little weights, and 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 call it a day. And so that's and and I and I've also been uh, 
taking my son to the field and working with him and, and his friends on, on some speed training, things like that. So that's pretty much what I've been doing. So, throwing, a, so, throwing a cigar or two from here and there, here and there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, smoking a cigar. Yeah, absolutely. There's a silver lining, right? You know, uh, same thing with me. I have a, a teenage age son um, where he would never be home, right? Uh, social life and everything is on hold, and, and you get to spend some quality time with them, and it sounds like you've been taking advantage of that. It's certainly a silver lining to all of this, right? Right, you gotta you gotta find one. If, if, yes. if, if you don't, if you don't, you 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 lose your mind. So you just you just gotta take advantage of the of the, the small victories, and I think that's a small victory that we could just uh, hang our hats on. No question. Um, you played uh, 13 years in the NFL, right? Uh, seven different teams, Eric. Many different off seasons, different organizations, coaches, GMs. Uh, if you hold out, right? Um, but yeah. <laughs> never, <laughs> but never a virtual off season like they are going through right now. So they're meeting on the Zoom meetings, working at home, trying to do installs over video. What do you think is the hardest thing for them to overcome with this situation as far as doing it that way? Well, I, you know if. It's, it's kind of that's a tough question for me because you know back when we were playing, uh, it wasn't like eighty five percent spent eighty five percent of the team spent time at the facility in the off season. Everybody yeah. would go their separate ways, and so and so for me, I actually preferred being away because I felt like I got in better shape and everything uh, doing it myself. And so I so it, it's, I don't know. Other than uh, the fact that these guys can't really work out if they don't have home gyms, right? I don't, I don't know how that really affects them or, or these, or these fields or clothes and things like that in, in their hometown. That's what I think is making it very tough. I mean, the virtual meeting and all that. Uh, I, I think that would be pretty easy because the coach is doing all the talking and everybody's listening and and all that on the on the computer anyway. And so, but. But I, I think I would find it very hard for the, the, the workout piece, especially if you don't have a home gym or access to a field that's open. And so you just either have to be creative as far as being in shape and being ready when it's time to come back physically. Yeah, that was, no, no, definitely. Uh, yeah, there's uh, that's uh, definitely a uh, a problem. I'm sure uh, people, you know, you got find a way then go you know lift whatever is near you right right <laughs> you lift. lift water bottles and backpacks and, and things like yep. that if, if, yeah. if you don't have it i mean i mean yeah. a lot of these guys they make a lot of money so i'm sure they have big homes with with extensive weight rooms and all that but but for those who don't you just you have to figure it out absolutely um, we've talked before, Eric, and uh, one of the things that you've never shied away from uh, is that you, uh, you you never like to get hit when you played, right? So, uh, I, when I was watching some of your Texas film and highlights uh, leading up to the interview today here, the one thing I noticed is that you never really did take very many big hits. Uh, you know, your your ability to you know, contort your body and evade tackles allowed you to never really 
you know, get lit up ever. I just wanted to ask you, is there any hit that stands out in your mind where you just got blown up and you, you just never forget it? There are a bunch, but, a these, bunch. but, but there are a bunch of hits that I've taken. And I was like, oh, my goodness, why am I playing this for? But you got to remember, no one ever puts a, a, a low light on a highlight film. I'm sure it's on the other guy's highlight film. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, it's it's, it's one of those things. It's, it's always guys. I I know Chuck Cecil got me. He got me good when he was at Green Bay. Um, uh, I can't remember the linebacker's name from Minnesota. He got me good. There's, there's always, you know, there's always a lot of big hits. You don't want to remember them because I'm first of all mad that somebody got a chance to hit me like that. Because, like I said, like you said in the beginning, I don't like to get hit. And so when you get the when you when you get the good a good shot on me, I don't really want to give anyone credit for that. <laughs> Very true. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I wanted to ask you about that for sure. If there was any that said I'd be, but they got you a couple of times pretty good. I, you know, it's it's true though. You you did a good job. You never, you know, you did a good job evading big hits for the most part. Would you agree with that? I think so. And I mean, that's that's something that I was trying to do from the, the time I, I got on the field. And, and you know, it, it wasn't really about not liking to be hit, even though I feel like it, it's overrated running into people. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think not being tackled or not being touched, I felt like even growing up, it it was easier to score that way. If they can't touch you, they can't they can't stop you, especially if you're faster than them. And so that that was what it was all about. I just like scoring touchdowns. And there so when so playing growing up always I always said if, if my uniform was dirty, I felt like I had a bad game. So that means I was on the ground and, and people were tackling me. And so, you know, it, it, when I think about it, I always thought Touchdown first. We can we can always get first down, but I want to get touchdowns. And that's, that's just been my mindset from the time I stepped on the field. Just just because watching my dad and and, and watching his highlight films. Yeah. Well, you certainly uh, score score your share for sure. Um, you were an incredible track athlete, Eric, uh, at Texas, um, and uh, uh, got a chance to participate, as I mentioned at the beginning, and and actually retweeted in one of your tweets uh, of you uh, jumping back at Texas. But in the Olympic trials, 1988, right, it was Carl Lewis. Mm -hmm. Uh, What was that experience like? Well, you know, I I had competed against Carl uh, prior to that. uh, Like my freshman year in college at Texas, the first time I did uh, went to the U.S. championships and and competed against him in, in Eugene, Oregon. And so that was that 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 moment right there was was the big one for me because Carl Lewis was someone that I uh, I looked up to because when I was in high school on my wall I had a entire wall of pictures and posters dedicated to Carl Lewis then I had another one dedicated to Terry Metcalf and so really. So, yeah, because yeah, this is who I wanted to be like in each one of each one of those sports. Carl did it all on the track, and that's long jumping and sprinting and everything. And, and then my dad, of course, did did it all on the football field. So that's who I wanted to emulate. So 
that's what made it special for me the first time I got to uh, compete against Carl because in my mind, when I started track and field, I thought about me being a sprinter and me being a long jumper, and, and, and he was the epitome of both at the time. So that was, it was a really good time. That's incredible. You know, you were, uh, you're a hero or you're somebody that you look up to, you know, obviously your father, but then a track athlete like that and you get a chance to compete against them, that, that had to have been uh, somewhat uh, awestruck at the time, right? Right. I mean, you know, and it's, and it's fortunate but unfortunate that track wasn't my main sport, you know, because had it been my main sport, I would have competed against Carl a bunch of times and you never know what would have happened because I, cause I would have gone to like European meets and big meets and, and, and competed all over the world with him but because football was my main thing I only got to compete against Carl like at US championships because I, I was in college of course and so as soon as uh, the collegiate season was over we would go to US championships I compete against them then everybody else who was uh, only in track and field will continue to go to meets and, and the pros will go to Europe and do things like that. But then I'd start getting ready for football. And so I didn't have as many opportunities to compete against Carl and those guys as I would like to, nor did I compete all four years in college. So we never know what could have happened if that, if that was my main sport and I even competed in four years in college. Interesting. Interesting. You're listening to NFL great grounds legend Eric Metcalf here on All Eyes on Cleveland. Um, so, in my in my uh, estimation or my opinion, uh, you were ahead of your time, Eric. Uh, you, uh, when I watch, I am in awe of your ability to jump cut. So, like I, when I posted on Twitter last, night, I think you saw it, but the, your first touchdown, right? They called it the double jump cut because that's basically what it was. Absolutely filthy move, right? <laughs> and you go in and score your first ever touchdown. Did, did you realize, and then the more that I watch you, you know, that ability and you think about it now with, with your long jumping history and everything, but like that, that move was just ahead of its time. It's something that people use now, but, but then, Nobody really used that, but you it, it was absolutely devastating to defenders for your, your ability to, you know, to kind of bunny hop or jump cut from one position to another and just leave people in the dust. Did you realize that that was like, like a move or a go-to move that you went to often? Not at all. I, I mean, you know, um, when I when I trained for football and, and worked out, it, it's going to sound crazy, but I never, ever trained on on ladders, on speed ladders, agility ladders, ever. I never, ever did that. Hmm. I, 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 trained, I trained like a track guy, so I'd go out there and run sprints, uh, 300s, 200s, 100s, you know, even short sprints, and I, that's how I trained. And so as, as I got older, I would go to the field with guys or I'd see high school guys, and they'd ask me to do the – through the ladders and things like that. I'm like, I don't really think I can do that, you know, <laughs> because, I mean, I know the ladder is sitting there, but I'm probably not going to do it as fast as you think, but you put somebody in front of me, you put somebody in front of me, I guarantee I can make him miss. And so that's what I really 
uh, appreciated about being able to do it is that, you know, it was something that I, I never really worked on. I just, it just naturally happened because it's just trying to make guys miss and, and, and get to the end now. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing to watch, you know, your ability to change direction like that. And even that, that very first touchdown and, and that, uh, that touchdown is an absolutely incredible move as you watch it. So, um, what do you recall about that play, your very first touchdown? <laughs> I remember uh, being in the game, and, and, and Bernie threw it to me, and I knew the guy was close to me, and I was like, oh, boy, this <laughs> this is going to be <laughs> interesting yeah. because because I was like the last option. I was the, the safety valve, of course. And he turned and, and, and threw it to me. Then, then I don't know what happened. All I knew was the next thing I, I was running in the end zone, <laughs> and uh, and so I run to the side. I'm start. I mean, I'm guys are giving me a high five, which they did at the time, smacking me on the head and everything. And uh, and everybody's like, "Great move!" I get to the sideline. I'm sitting there, sitting next to Reggie Langhorn. He's like, "Man, that was a, a great move." And I'm like, "What are you talking about?" And, I, and this is this is real. I'm like, what are you talking about? That's a great move. I just cut the ball and ran in the end zone. And he's like, no, the move. And I'm like, and I, I really did not understand what he was talking about until I saw a replay of it on the screen. Wow. And then that's what I that's what I was able to understand what it looked like to everyone else because that's not what it felt like to me. It felt like I caught the ball and ran in straight, and then and so when I when I looked at, looked at the screen, and I was sitting next to Reg, I looked at him. I said, "Oh, okay." I said, "But the guy touched my socket, knocked it down, so now I won't look good in the pictures." <laughs> yeah, yeah, that messed up, right? Messed your swag up on your first right. touchdown. Right, that messed up. Uh, <laughs> That, well, it's still an incredible move as, as you saw. I posted it as a meme, and all a bunch of people have been commenting it on on Twitter. You know about how ridiculous of a move it is, and it it, it really is. But I mean, that's something that, that you seem to go to, you know, a lot. Uh, I mean, even you can see it a little bit just sometimes when you're in a pass, or even in the second return in the Pittsburgh game. It was just kind of a little jump cut that gets you out of the pack there and straight away to outrun everybody. And, and uh, it's something that people practice and use now, and you, you didn't even know you were doing it, but you were, you know, wiping people out with it, which is pretty incredible. So. And, and you know, I think, I think the, the long jump had, had a lot to do with it. And, yeah. Know, it's, and, it's, and it's not because I could run down the, the runway and, and, and jump far. I think it's because it, it taught me a lot of body control. Yeah. Because when you when you're talking about running down the the, the runway and then jumping, you can uh, anybody can do it, but it's what you do when you get to the board that makes it a, a good jump or a bad jump. So being able to to gather yourself and and still not slow your speed down and and control your body as you're in the air when you're doing a hitch kick and things like that. It, it's a lot of body control and, and and talent that has to happen when you do that in order to go far. And I think, you know, with, with practicing that and doing all the drills for the long jump, it, it helped me when I when I got on the field. It came naturally. Huh. Interesting. 
Uh, very good stuff. Awesome stuff. I love that story about the socks. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, when you look at today's game, Eric, uh, versus how it was when you played, and, and I go back to what I said a minute ago, how, how I believe you are ahead of your time, and this is kind of what I mean here. Uh, Atlanta in 1995, over 1,000 yards receiving as a wide receiver. Uh, your ability to run and catch and return and do everything for the Browns, right? Um, you were basically like Christian McCaffrey before Christian McCaffrey, right? I mean, he just got the most, the biggest contract uh, a running back has ever gotten, right, in the NFL. Right. I mean, that was you before. I mean, that was your game, but it just wasn't as open of a game um, back when you played as it is now. I mean, I feel like you would be as good as, if not better than him, if you played in um, the NFL the way it is today. Do you wish that, that, that you got a chance to play in a more wide open or in today's NFL instead? I would say that I, I I really enjoyed my time in the NFL and and loved everything that happened, even the good and bad, because it, it comes with a career. But if I played today, that would be my sixty-four million dollars. That's what I'm saying, right? <laughs> that would be because you know because now it's not because the the, the field is so open, the game is so open. Now it's not really about size it's more about what you can do and and they're allowing the guys with with the the dual ability as far as receiving and and running to 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 get the ball a lot not you know chris mccaffrey alvin kamara dalvin cook all those todd Gurley, even when he's when he's healthy all these guys um uh kareem hunt all these guys are able to do a lot of things so with the way the game's being played, now you know they don't have to come off the field. You don't have to have a first down running back and a third down back or, right. or such because these guys can do it all. And so I think, yeah, of course, if I would have loved to have played today because there's no telling uh, what my career would have been like. It probably had gone like I, I wanted it to go. But, but you know, it's, just, it's, it's part of the deal. And, and that's when I came through and they just happened to be playing old school football, three yards in a cloud of dust, and it just didn't really suit me. And so, you know, it was really hard for coaches uh, to to find a way to use me. Yeah, that's interesting, you know. I mean, um, I I just know in watching you, I mean, I know for a fact in watching you that that you would be, that would be your, your contract, that would be, you know, I mean, you can do it. You could do it all better than the guys that do it now. So, um, with the speed and everything, and, and it's just incredible. I mean, your ability to go from what you did in Cleveland to Atlanta and then catch over a thousand yards as a wide receiver. What was that like? I, I, haven't, I don't think I've ever asked you this. That Atlanta offense is kind of legendary, right? That was Jeff George, correct? Right. And it was, it was uh, Jeff was the quarterback. Uh, uh, Craig Ironhead Hayward was the, the running back and splitting time with Jamal Anderson. And there was a, a receiver was me, Terrence Mathis, yeah. Bertie Manuel, and J.J. Burton. 
Yeah, and the in the yardage you guys put up is up there towards the top of, you know, some of the best offenses ever that season. What was that season like for you making that transition to just doing wide receiver? It, it was it was actually fun once I once we got to games and I eventually got it. I mean, going going into it through through mini camp and and, and training camp, I didn't think it was going to work, and you know it just it just really? felt so it just felt so different to me because you know I had never been out split out like every down, mm-hmm. and, and and so I didn't I didn't know how it was going to work. You know, I had never had to go through one-on-ones with dbs and and all that every every day and so it was it was it was all different and i didn't think it was going to work and i was i was like uh, i didn't even feel good about it at all but 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 once the game started and now you have to really play football and, and don't worry about you know and you don't have to worry about being fast or, or slow because i know i could play fast things just started clicking and and we had an offense, and we had players who could who could do some things on the field that kept it wide open. So it, it was enjoyable once we got started. I bet, I bet you had a monster year for sure. Um, yeah, so you have some incredible memories, right? So I tried to post uh, like uh, you know four of them. You know, of course, everybody's favorite in Cleveland, right? Two returns versus the Steelers. But then, right. you know, I, I called it the, uh, if you saw the Twitter, I call it the answer, right? The uh, playoff uh, return against Buffalo, right? In the playoffs okay. right after their touchdown. And I called the other one the walk-off, right, against Oakland. And, and you just uh, had Oakland's number because I believe the year before you had like four touchdowns against them, right? And then the next yep. year you walked them off <laughs> with two seconds <laughs> left. And then, um, and then I posted the, obviously the first touchdown that you had that we just kind of talked about. If you had to pick a favorite, do you have a favorite? A, a favorite one of those touchdowns, I would, <laughs> or a favorite game. A, a favorite, <laughs> what a favorite moment? How about a favorite moment as a Browns player? I think, or, I, I think, I think, my favorite moment would be what you call the walk off. And 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 it's because it's because you know when you're when you're growing up as a kid and you're outside playing uh, sports and with your, with your friends and everything, everybody talks about hitting a walk off home run. Yeah. Everybody talks about scoring a touchdown with no time on the clock. Everybody talks about hitting a jumper or making a shot with no time on the clock to win the game. Because you sit out there by yourself and you might count down the clock and then shoot. You know, and that's what everybody talks about. And so for me to actually have the opportunity to do it in an NFL game was special. But, you know, what what makes it hard is the the two punt returns against Steelers. The Steelers is everyone in Cleveland's favorite. And so, and so, and so, and so, and so what I hear, when I hear people, they keep, it's always, I was there when he scored the two perfect things again. So, so it's, it's like they're kind of like pushing it up to my favorite moment. <laughs> but, 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 but just going down with what it really felt like, it's the it's the Raider game. Yeah, In- incredible that uh, you did that. The Raiders broke their hearts four touchdowns the year before, and then 
and then walk them off with a a last-second return, right, Uh, Mm -hmm. the next year, uh, breaking breaking Oakland, uh, Los Angeles uh, hearts, right? Yeah. And, I mean, you know, it's funny because, like you said, had the four touchdowns a year before, but for for the most part, in that in that game, this, the second year, they had bottled me up. I didn't do anything, really. And then uh, they took a, a safety because they felt like they had it won. And but then, what do you have to do? You have to punt it to me. Yeah. And we almost and I almost ran it back. Yeah. <laughs> and then so so it made the field shorter and gave us the opportunity to win the game. So it, it, it was it was a fun time. That's awesome. That's good stuff. But, I mean, if you look at those, I mean, all great memories, and those are just a few. Uh, there's so many other ones, too. Uh, you saw that I posted those on Twitter, I think. And then did you see when you see, like, all the love come out, just like when I posted those, everybody coming out, liking them, commenting them on them. I remember that, this. Uh, what does that mean to you? I mean, it, it's all love for you uh, in Cleveland. You realize that, right? I, oh, I do. I mean, it, it, I, I always tell friends and family, you guys don't like me. I'll go to Cleveland for a little while, and, and they can, they'll pump up my ego before I come back. But I love it. I mean, I, I love how people post videos, you guys post videos, and I, I love the, the interaction the fans have, and they, they're all, everybody remembers where they were at at that moment and, and things like that. And, and it's so fun to do here. And so, you know, I'll comment back from time to time. And, but that's what I think it's all about. You know, I think when you're, when you're a football player, athlete in general, and you go out there and, and you have an opportunity to, to entertain people, you want to have lasting moments. You want to do things that people will always remember. And so, you know, I, I'd, I'd rather people know me for for things I did, and so so I, I feel good about it because I felt like I did a, a lot of good things in, in Cleveland that that people can remember. No question, no question. Great memories. Uh, uh, you're listening to All Eyes on Cleveland with uh, NFL great Browns legend Eric Metcalf. You can follow Eric on Twitter at Eric Metcalf21. I suggest you do so. Um, one of the reasons, Eric, that uh, you were my favorite for sure with your swag, for sure. Uh, you had the do-rag and the orange shoes. Tell me about the orange shoes, Eric. I love the orange shoes. Well, well the funny thing is I don't know how I thought of it. It was Webster Slaughter and I, and we were talking about it, and I just said, I'm going, I'm going to get in my shoes because we were about to play in Chicago on Monday night <laughs> in 1989. Right. I was like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to. Take my shoes. I, I actually took them to a, a shoe repair guy and had them dyed to match the helmet. I mean, later on during the season, guys just start spray painting, and that's what everybody knew. But my shoes were actually dyed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, spray and, paint. Well, how tacky is that, right? I mean, right. You got, and, and, you got I mean because nobody right? knew. Nobody knew what to do. I mean, but I took my and Western Slaughter's <laughs> and had them dyed. And so even going in – even during warm-ups of the game, I had the I had the shoes covered up so no one knew that they were no going to be orange, and no one knew. And then took the tape off right before the game and and had orange shoes. And so that was that was that was a fun time. I was, and I love the fact that you know that 
it was a thing, you know, because yeah, then everybody true. everybody on the team wanted it. Even people and even fans were, were painting their shoes. And so, yep. you know, it, it, it was a thing and that was a, it was just, it was just fun. And then with the, with the do-rag, I don't know why I started wearing that. I just was <laughs> sitting around one day and, and I, I don't know, I saw, uh, I saw some fabric with browns on. I was like, I'm going to make this into a do-rag and it went from there. Yeah. <laughs> and I so love that it. one year, and so I that one it. year I wore the browns do-rag, yeah. I loved it. That was that's awesome that uh, you start you you started the trend doing Webster huh, with the shoes. That's awesome. Went and got them dyed. Same color as the uh, as the helmet. That's that's beautiful. Got to do it right, right? Look good. Right. Look good. Uh, play good, huh? Yeah, my dad. That's my dad. Tell me, you play how you dress. <laughs> and, then, and so so I my my goal was to look good every time I walked out there because I felt like I want I wanted to play I wanted to play well. That's awesome. Awesome. Good stuff. Um, Eric, so as I mentioned to start the uh, interview here today, strange time in the country. We talked about the pandemic and, you know, the silver linings there, getting a chance to spend time with family. Maybe otherwise it wouldn't have been there or presented to us and taking advantage of that. But also a strange time with, um, obviously, uh, George Floyd and everything going on in the country. Eric, if you could tell someone, um, like me, I'm a white man in America, I see the injustice going on, I want to help, and Sam, Sam, one of your good friends, I call you up and I say, what, what, what can I do to help, or what, what would you tell me? I, I would tell you the first, um, game, game, get the knowledge of what is, is going on. Um, and, and so you can truly understand what a, a, a black man or black person is feeling. Because if you don't, if you don't know what, what they're feeling, what they're, what, what we're going through, then, then you, you'll never ever, uh, have empathy for us, you know, because at, for a, a white man, there will be, never be a time we will have what we call the N-word moment. Mm-hmm. And it's, and we think of it like, and I can't speak for everyone, but I myself think about it, it's going to happen. You just never know what it is. And that doesn't mean that someone's going to call you the N-word. It means, I'm, that means you might not get a job because of the color of your skin. Uh, you might not get put in a school because of the color of your skin. And so people who don't ever have to worry about that don't really see the plight of a black man or what, what they have to, to go through in, in order to, to survive or, 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 or get ahead. So when you don't have to think about things like that, it makes it a lot easier. So I think gaining the knowledge of what we feel like, what black people feel like in these, in these times is, is, is first and foremost, but then, it gives you the courage and the knowledge to go out there and, and try to spread the word and, and, and protest or what have you with us. Very well said, Eric. Uh, um, so listen, basically, right? Listen and, and learn and, and show empathy and, and then try to, try to help. 
make the change, right? right? Force the change. Right. It's uh, very well said and powerful stuff. Um, I wanted to ask you about this um, hot button topic here with uh, Drew Brees um, was asked about the, you know, the situation. More so he was asked about not so much George Floyd, but Kaepernick uh, protesting the flag and and you know again so this all happened in 2016 but you know he basically said you know I'm using a little bit of his quote never he, he'll never agree with anyone disrespecting the flag um, he said Kaepernick protest, protested in the wrong way he went on to say some other things about his grandfather serving in the military and, and things like that but um, this infuriated, obviously, uh, um, Malcolm Jenkins, Michael Thomas, Ed Reed, uh, uh, you know, well, first of all, Jenkins and Thomas are on his team, but many teammates he, he angered, uh, uh, Ed Reed and, and many people in the sports world, basketball players, football players, actors, they all came out, right, about his comments, because this is the narrative, right, Eric, that the NFL used back in 2016 to push your attention away from the actual message, right? Because this is what they use to to take your focus off of what Colin Kaepernick was trying to get us to look at. And and the NFL and others use this flag and disrespect as as like a a totally different narrative that that blurs the message, right? Right. think with what has happened in America now that that message is blurred anymore, and then you take into account that he has been in a locker room his whole life, right? When you're in a locker room with with black men who have you know uh, you know are around you every day, you would you think that you would understand what the message is, right? Um, but his comments were completely tone deaf. Um, how does first of all how does that even happen a and then and then how do they some of them have said they've forgiven, but how do they come back from this as a team well i I think it happens because once again we don't have knowledge right yeah and so so when you you steer away from what copper Colin Kaepernick was actually saying in his protest and, and make it about the flag, that's lack of knowledge. Right. And, and, and I think, you know, I, I, you hear people talk about disrespecting the anthem and disrespecting the flag. And, and I think, I don't think anyone would disrespect the anthem or flag if they felt equal. Right. Mm-hmm. So, 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 I mean, you can take the, the, uh, the incident with, black kids or, or black people being murdered away. I don't think anyone if anyone if everyone had a fair shake in this in this country, I don't think anyone would ever disrespect the flag or the anthem. But 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 there's races that don't have a fair shake. And so when you when you have someone making it about the flag or the anthem that just like once again lets you know that you're not knowledgeable because no one ever said Colin Kaepernick never said anything about that. He said he was tired of seeing black people being murdered by police 
and mm-hmm. social injustice and systemic racism. And that's what it was about. And so once again, like you said, by bringing up the flag and, and the anthem, it's a, a way to steer away from the actual problem because then you don't have to talk about it. You talk about the flag, you don't have to talk about what is really happening. And that's what that's what's making Malcolm Jenkins and Michael Thomas and all these guys so mad because the problem is not the flag, obviously. It's what is happening, just like what unfortunately happened to, to George Floyd and Amari Arbery and all the guys. So that's and so they're sticking up for that being and, and I think now is an important time because when even white folks gain the knowledge and listen, they 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 will begin to make changes. Everyone will begin to make changes. And so that's how it that's how it gets taken care of. Were you surprised though, like with Drew Brees, shouldn't he be someone that is already empathetic to that? I mean, just by being in a locker room, wouldn't he have had that a chance to absorb some of that knowledge? I you know, I would I would think you would be able to, but it's still it's it's never it's never gonna be a time where you have to experience that. So do you actually think about it? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean when when you have like I said, Michael Michael Thomas and Malcolm Jenkins in, in the locker room, those guys actually feel it every day. Yeah. Regardless. So so they have to think about it. When when you're when you're never gonna be worried about having social injustice or systemic racism towards you, you don't have to worry. You don't worry about it. And so that's that's what makes it tough and that's what makes it I mean it makes it easy why somebody wouldn't know, but at the same time when it first went down in 2016 and guys were kneeling, that should have been the opportunity for everyone to try to understand what was really going on and why they were doing this and, and what they were trying to accomplish with this. And then, so we wouldn't be at this point where Drew Brees would still be making these statements. Yeah. Um, now he's, he's a leader of his team for how many ever years? I feel like he's, you know, some people have forgiven him, but I mean, he's lost the complete respect of Malcolm Jenkins, pretty much, right? I mean, it, I mean, this is an issue in a locker room, is it not? I think I think it is, but at the same time, I think, you know, when you when you get in between those white lines, everybody's about the same thing, and it's and it's about winning. And I don't think I don't think a a left tackle is going to miss a block because of what Drew Brees said or or, <laughs> yeah. Michael, or, or, or Michael Thomas is going to drop a pass because of what Drew Brees said. What happens in between the, the white line happens because everybody's out there for the same goal. And then there's people, and then you're obviously out there for uh, your individual success as well. So people are trying to go out there and compete at a high level and, and do the things. I think it's once you step outside of those white lines, that people will have a problem because although they'll still talk and still be uh, chatty and, and may even go to dinner from time to time, it's, it's sometimes like things like this are like, can I trust this guy? Is will he right. fight for me when when it when it's really time to fight for me? And that's that's the thing you have to worry about. And, and hopefully it, it won't affect their team and they can move forward. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, we'll say it again, Eric. Um, you are, once again, you're listening to All Eyes on Cleveland with wonderful special guest, Eric Metcalf, my all-time favorite Brown and uh, Vetting of Years, NFL, great 
two more questions here for you, okay? Uh, okay. 2019 Brown, super talented, lots of hype, lots of talk, go out, six and ten. What went wrong? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I honestly believe that uh, we, we we didn't lean on the person that we should have leaned on, and, that, and that's Nick Chubb. I think, you know, Mm-hmm. Uh, we we have receivers who are superstars, but I think on that team and the way we played football, Nick Chubb was a superstar as he as he proved all season. I mean, I thought he should have won the the rushing title, but he didn't get the ball like I thought he should have gotten the ball. And I think, and so with that with that in mind, I think we were too past happy at times we weren't you know we, there was no sometimes I, when i looked at it, it was like there's no rhyme or reason to what we were doing you know we nick chubb run the ball down inside the 10 yard line then we go empty things like that yeah and, and that's and, and, so, and, and then that that bothered me and so and so that's i think just not knowing you know you can always have talent you know on, mm-hmm. on paper but you have to know and and i think the, the inexperience of the AC at the time, uh, along with these guys, they're all new to, together. It, mm-hmm. it, it makes it rough. And so, and, and so I think, uh, those close games that, that we lost, those are games we could win this year because everybody's been together. Everybody knows. And mm-hmm. so you can't be, everybody knows you can't just show up and, and, and win. You have to actually play football and know what you're doing. And, and so, I think those are little things that were, were were hindering us last year, and so you know I think with um, Kevin Fancy and those guys, I think you know he's been through it. He knows how to do. It. He's yeah. been on a playoff run for years with with, with similar teams, right? And so, and so now I think we have leadership along with the roster that can go out there and turn it around. Yeah, so you kind of answered my second question there, right? So 2020 Browns, more talented, new coach. I mean, let, let's just say this, right? Like, like Freddie was in over his head, right, a little bit. You you think that, I mean, he, he what we know now um, about, you know, what Todd Munkin had to say about him kind of bailing on game plans and, and this and that, I mean, I mean, he was in over his head, really, right? Would you agree with yeah, that? Yeah, I, I do agree with that. I do, I do agree. With that. I mean, because I mean, just, and and it's not his fault. I mean, no, it, it's not his fault. I mean, because it, it was his first time being a head coach. But when you really think about it, what prior to the season, it was like probably what sixteen months before he was just a running back coach, you know, right. <laughs> and, and 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 so when you just managing and leading one room of say five players, that's a lot different than than even becoming the offensive coordinator uh, halfway through the season. And because yeah. now because you become the offensive coordinator and you're only managing a third of the team. Half the, you know, a third of the team. And and which is totally different from being the AC and managing everything and everybody. And and I and I and I unfortunately, I think the year that, that Freddie was the OC, 
I think a lot of people, including myself, I think, uh, thought the next year would be better just because of the games that they won. But I knew that the games that they ended up winning at the end of the 18th season were a lot of meaningless games against a bunch of meaningless teams. You know, those <laughs> there was one team that they played at the end that was a, a playoff team, I think. That was Baltimore, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and so and so that's it's things like that. So that that people don't think about. But when you're playing against a bunch of you're winning games, a bunch against a bunch of teams who aren't very good, you're supposed to win those games if you're right. a better team. And 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 so we're, we're we're past that now. And I think now we have somebody in the leadership position who who knows. And 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 I think uh, everybody will, will will grow up a little bit and. And, and man up because they know that you can't just show up and do it. You have to, you have to, you have to study. You have to know what you're doing. You have to be the right cause. Everybody has to be on the same page in order to, to take it to the next level. You, uh, you like Kevin Stefanski. It sounds like he's, he's pretty buttoned up, serious. Uh, you know, seems like he has uh, got all his ducks in a row, doesn't he? It does, and I mean, and even before, I I know people who who actually coached with him, and so I I made calls <laughs> like before he okay. got the job. I, I made calls. I'm like, I made calls. I'm like, what what about Savannah? Because he's probably going to get the job, and yeah. and there was nothing but good things, and and the, really? the, the the most important thing that was told to me was he's a a good coach but he's a teacher. And so that's what you need. You need you need someone who's going to teach because everybody, you know, when you get to the NFL, everybody expects you to just know what's going on. You already be ready because now you're in the NFL. We're just going to show you the plays. You just got to learn what you do. No, you still have to teach because everybody's a pro. The defenders are a pro. And you're a pro. Everybody has to know the proper technique in order for plays and, and game plans to be successful. And, 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 Knowing that he's a teacher first, so I'm sure he's going to make sure his staff are, are, are full of teachers as well. And mm-hmm. that's how you get better. With the exception of COVID-19 and, and that hand that was dealt to them, um, which obviously kind of complicates putting in a new offense and defense and staff and team, right? Um, they, have all, they're, they're, they have all the talent they had last year. They're they're actually more talented, I would say, because the offensive line uh, additions and Cooper and free agency and mm-hmm. uh, a couple of nice draft picks and uh, but but not even close to the same expectations, right? Tempered expectations this year, uh, not no not nearly the same amount of talk. Baker Mayfield has been you know quiet, moving in silence, as he would say. Um, so, you know, the hype uh, that was there last year is not here this year. So does that kind of set them up for a, a nice little scenario? I mean, the 6-10 and 10 disappointment is kind of given Kevin a a, uh, a nice hand here, right, with the same talent, even more talent, and not the expectations and not the talk. 
I think out of outside of Cleveland, <laughs> the, the pressure isn't there. But you know that everybody in Cleveland is oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But, 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 you, but you know, I think I think it's I think it's a good situation because I think I mean I I know I was one of the guys I I bought into the hype last year, even though Freddie was was the first year coach. I thought we would we would have enough talent to get by that, you know. Yeah. And but but once again, you still have to put everybody in the right situation to, to make plays. But I think uh, flying under the radar uh, this year, no one's really talking about it because they feel like it's, you can hype them up, but it's probably going to be like last year. I think, I think this is a good thing. The only, only, only real downfall that I, uh, about this year uh, and this COVID not being able to go to the facility is the fact that they would have been able to have the extra mini camp. Yep. And so, and so, extra extra days because of and and being on the field and you're installing the offense and everything. Like I said, once again, you can you can do that over Zoom. But when it's actually time to go run it and everybody to be on the same page and know what is expected, they 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 miss out on that. And 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 everyone's missing out on that. And so, I don't I don't think that's going to be a problem. I think it's just a matter of when everybody gets together with the talent. That we have and the coaches staff, it, it it should be better, a lot better than it was last year. Well, Eric, you absolutely killed it. Uh, tremendous interview, amazing. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I had a great time, uh, you know, reminiscing, talking about these issues and stuff. Uh, you were fantastic. Uh, any parting words for us here today? I don't say it just. Let's look forward to the seasoning and go, bro. There you go. You heard it there. Eric Metcalf, NFL great, ground legend, my favorite, uh, probably yours too. Uh, thank you so much for your time, Eric. You're fantastic. And thank you. All right. was the one and only Eric Metcalf uh, knocking it out of the park uh, with a tremendous interview uh, breaching all topics uh, from his career to the 2019 Browns the 2020 Browns to George Floyd to Colin Kaepernick to Drew Brees and back Uh, hope you enjoyed it Uh, I certainly did uh, and uh, Eric is a great interview for sure. Got a couple things we want to get to here tonight before we get out of here. Mikey, go ahead and kill that.
Thank you, sir. You're a gentleman and a scholar, Mikey, on the ones and twos. This is All Eyes on Cleveland, the podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Brad Ward. That was me and Eric Metcalf for uh, 53 minutes of gold there here with uh, Eric Metcalf. Make sure you follow Eric on Twitter at EricMetcalf21. He's a great follow um, and a tremendous man all around uh, for sure. Uh, so, a couple things that we wanted to get into, uh, kind of quick hit style here, uh, post-interview. Uh, where's my sheet, Mikey? Gonna kill ya. Um, first and foremost, uh, the NFL, uh, has said that, uh, they probably, well... They may, but probably will do away with the, um, here it is, with the two preseason, two of the four preseason games. So something to keep your eye on here. Mary Kay Cabot kind of saying that, um, heard her this morning on, on the air with Ken Carmen. Uh, that that's a, a big disadvantage for the Browns. But, you know, the more time they have to do installs and all that is fine. Uh, I don't, you know, you you need to look at this. If you had two preseason games, do you use them to get your guys on the field and run some of your stuff against competition? Or do you continue to use them, as most teams do, to evaluate your roster, and more so the last 20 guys on that roster. Um, that's where it gets a little iffy because four games, you got plenty of time to kind of do it all. With two, you're kind of crunched, but you can still play a first quarter with your starters in two games and still get a good look at those guys in game situation, uh, as certainly some players just show up better in game situations than they do um, in a practice scenario. So this is where they get their shot, third and fourth quarter of two two games versus four games. I, I'm not sweating it, not a big deal to me. As long as they have that practice time, uh, that's, what, that's what we want, right? We want the, the boys on the field together, uh, you know, getting ready for the games that matter. Um, beyond that, uh, Stefanski with a strong uh, presser yesterday, really uh, engaging in the George Floyd uh, social injustice, systemic racism, uh, all of it uh, caused, talked about taking his son to a peaceful protest in Avon. He, I mean, he's walking the walk for sure. It's, he's to me commended for that. Uh, listening to his players, you know, encouraging his players to talk about it with each other. To um, he said multiple times, you know, attach your name, get in the arena uh, on this topic. It matters, and and those were are great things to say. And and so far, I've been nothing but impressed with him as a man and a leader. Um, that doesn't determine anything on the football field, but he has been very, uh, he's very real deal about what he says he's about so far. 
um, and uh, hitting this uh, social injustice thing straight on, you know, and uh, was asked some tough questions about uh, how his team would respond on the field, taking a knee or etc. to demonstrate, um, you know, once again, the problem in a peaceful protest way. And he just said, what, no matter what it is, we're just going to come together on it, you know? So we want to all be on the same page and we're going to do it together, whatever that is. So I thought that was all good stuff from him. Uh, didn't talk a ton of football really at all. Um, talked a little bit about coaching staff, some of the coaches, uh, that are out of town, he said, just kind of stay out of town and do the, you know, do the Zoom. He called it Zoom or quote Zoom criteria or uh, curriculum unquote Zoom curriculum. They're going to continue the Zoom curriculum uh, until uh, players are in Berea, and then obviously once all the coaches there, I'm sure there are coaches there with him now. I know Barry is there for sure, so. Uh, that's the one interesting thing, good thing I said that, is he did get asked about adding to the roster, which is something we're really keeping our eye on here, uh, especially at all eyes on Cleveland. We're trying to, you know, last podcast talked about some of the guys linked to the Browns, um, and uh, so this clowny thing at some point is going to come to a head, um, and then you've got Ngakwe um, and Barry and, uh, you know, multiple players that that could be out there for the Browns to reach out in, uh, to Tlaib uh, and, and look at if they wanted to add to the roster. I don't know that they necessarily need to, but um, that's something that they – as he said, that they're always trying to make the roster better. So that's something to keep an eye on because they do have that thirty-seven plus million dollars still uh, available. And any uh, like one-year deal that you can sign somebody to, uh, the way the NFL is structured, it doesn't really matter when it comes to signing guys next year. It's going to come right off the books right after one season. So. Those, which is kind of why I think they shot all those one-year deals kind of into the defense, um, prove-it deals, because then you can kind of turn around and if you need to pay somebody, which they're going to need to do, A, with Garrett, you know, and then a lot of other guys after that potentially, um, but the, to have the flexibility to let a guy walk and get that money right back on the books is huge. So signing anybody to a one-year deal at this point is only beneficial to the team this year and will not hurt them financially in the long run. That's important to remember. Um, when we look at uh, one other thing I wanted to talk about, oh, the last thing I wanted to talk about uh, today before I get out of here Hugh Jackson uh, went on Baskin and Phelps. Uh, he's been making the rounds. I saw him on the Pat McAfee show uh, selling tequila. He has his own tequila now that he's selling. 
but let's talk about just real quickly, and I don't want to give him the, any attention that he deserves because the main point here is don't put in it. Why, why are Cleveland shows, local shows, nationally I kind of understand a little bit more, and also I will say that he kind they're using this tequila as kind of a way to reach out for interviews on a national scale. But why love Baskin and Phelps, first of all, but why are we interviewing Hugh Jackson? He does not matter. It's 20 freaking 20. Those days are over. Why are we rehashing what happened when he was here? Why are we giving him a microphone in Cleveland? I, for one, don't want to hear about it anymore. So in the past week, he said, you know, that he wanted Colin Kaepernick. Okay, here we go. Now that add that to the list of other 20 quarterbacks that, uh, that he said that he wanted um, when he was the Browns head coach. I call bullshit. I call liar. I mean, he's a bullshitter. Um, and then he talked about how he didn't spend any time with the quarterbacks in his in his years in Cleveland. What? I mean, like, what, what are you talking? Oh man! What are you talking about? You didn't spend. You were hired as a quarterback guru, offensive coordinator. You? What do you mean you didn't spend any time with the quarterbacks? I, I mean. What is he talking about? This is why... Just just go away. Just go sit down somewhere, Hugh. Okay? You know, and, and if you're Cleveland... I, honest to God, will tell you, cross my heart, if I had the opportunity to interview him and I don't have the clout to interview Hugh Jackson or, you know, to him come knocking or anything like that, but I, I wouldn't interview him for what? For what? To rehash what we've already gone over so he can make up some more bullshit? To try to make Mayfield and the Browns look bad? As a Cleveland radio station that is, you know, part of the partners with the Browns or the Cleveland Browns, home of the Cleveland Browns, which is two stations in this town... Quit giving him a microphone. Why are we doing that? Totally against it. Um, let's focus on the here and now. If you need some sound bites, play Stefanski's presser. It happened on the same day. I mean, seriously, what are we talking to Hugh Jackson for in Cleveland? It's all bullshit. Everything that he's going to say is bullshit. And then he's talking. He said, oh, I've never had a player attack me like that before with Baker. I don't want to hear this. We lived this already. So, Mr. Baskin, Mr. Phelps, your producer, whatever. I know K&R has done it. Stop interviewing this guy in Cleveland. He doesn't matter anymore here. He took us through some of the worst times as Browns fans. Why do you want to talk more about those years with somebody that is just looking out for number one and trying to sell tequila?
ridiculous. That's my final thought on that today. Uh, no more, no more microphones in Frank Hughes' face uh, here, here in this town. Let's let's try to keep the uh, straight and narrow as far as that goes. Let's move on to what we have in front of us, which is an extremely talented football team going into twenty twenty. A lot to get excited about. Um, a lot to get excited about on this show too. All eyes on Cleveland. Um, look for it to uh, post tonight and then um, tomorrow at USA Today Sports Media Group. Mikey was on the ones and twos. Eric Metcalf was a terrific guest. Still working on the uh, home studio here. Got the sound panels up on one side of the room. Got the other side of the room coming in the mail. Uh, we've got the new technology here. Uh, so we're working on it. We're working it out here. We're, we're going to step it up. We've got uh, a new quick hit segment we'll be doing from time to time we've got a great guest next week with josh keatley who's going to take us through the udfas um next thursday maybe a quick hits on tuesday or a potential guest uh yet to be determined but we will be bringing you nothing uh but terrific interviews with the most intriguing personalities in the sports uh cleveland sports landscape um for sure so uh, I think that'll do it here tonight. I hope everybody stays safe out there. Be kind to each other. Empathetic. Remember what uh, Eric had to say, you know? Listen, educate yourselves, understand why people are upset. Let's try to make a change. Um, this has been All Eyes on Cleveland. Special edition with Eric Metcalf for Mikey on the ones and twos. I am Brad Ward. We are out. Never hearing from me Fake friends write the wrong answers on the mirror for me That's why I pick and choose I don't get you confused I got a small circle I'm not with different crews We walk the same path But got on different shoes Live in the same building But we got different views I got a couple cars I never get to use Don't like my women single I like my chicks in twos And these days all the girls is down the road I hit the strip club And all them bitches find a pole Plus I've been sipping so this shit is moving kind of slow Just tell my girl to tell a friend that it's time to go Now tell me how you love it You know you at the top and all the heavens right above it We own It's young money motherfucker If you ain't running with it run from it motherfucker Alright Now somebody show some money in this bitch And I got my bees with me like some honey in this bitch You dig I got my gun in my boot purse And I don't bust back the fresh train. Yes, I'm in the building. You just on the list of guest names. And all of my riders do not give a f- X games. Guns turn you boys into sex change. And I smoke till I got chest pains. And you just know I rep my gang like Jesse James. Women are possessive and they want to possess Wayne. I've been fly so long I fell asleep on the p- p- plane. Skinny pants and some vans. Call me Triple A, get my advance in advance. Amen. As the world spinning, dance in my hands. Life is a beach, I'm just playing in the sand. Uh, wake up and smell a p- You can't see me, but never overlook me. I'm on the paper trail, it ain't no telling where it took me. 
Nothing short of that, President Carter, young money Democrat. Uh, 